1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Who is writing it? Who is he writing it to? What is he writing about? Every time you read a book in the Bible, you always ask fundamental questions. Who's writing this letter? Who is this letter being written to? What are the fundamental issues or arguments being made throughout it? Paul, again, wrote Romans, as Benji broke it down last week. Today, Paul, writing to God's church in Corinth, said, you've been called by God. You people have been called by God to be holy people, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth. He loved these people. And right out of the gate before he gets to some of the issues, he's like, do you not realize that, that you're God's chosen people? God's chosen you? And, and you're, you're holy in his eyes positionally and you're to be sanctified. God wants you set apart. It's powerful. When you go back and look at Corinth in Paul's day, it was a very pagan culture. And I can promise you this. You would not want to raise a family in Corinth. I started studying where Corinth was and a little bit about it. When you look at the map, you'll see a lot of the different places that Paul went and sharing the gospel. We call them missionary journeys of Paul, if you will. But he spent a lot of time here in Corinth. Now, last week, we dealt with the book of Romans, and Paul spent time up in Rome, okay? But today, we're going to look at First and Second Corinthians, and Corinth was on kind of the south side, if you will, of Greece. Over to the east was Athens, and Athens was kind of like the intellectual center. It was kind of the Harvard of that place. Corinth was pleasure center. It was modern-day Amsterdam, baby. Anything goes. Party it up. No boundaries. No borders. Whatever you want to do, go for it. The thing about Corinth was uh, there, there were a couple of major harbors there. Based on where it's located geographically, if you study Corinth, it is buried in between Rome and to the east would be Asia. Asia. Now, we'll get to Ephesians even next week. But over in Ephesus, it was still a lot of jacked up worship stuff going on. The god of Bacchus was being worshipped there. That's where the term debauchery came from. When you study Corinth, it was known for its debauchery. It was known for extreme alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, and perversion. Where it's located, oh, it was interesting. It was a melting pot of people. People from Asia and people from Rome Right where the little red dot is to the right of Corinth, uh, there was a place there called the Ithmus Canal. It was a small canal. It was a passageway, and it's where the boats and ships would make their way from Rome down to Asia, Asia back up. And what ended up happening is there was a lot of people that started gathering in that area, if you will. You go back and look at the United States some 40, 50 years ago. Atlanta was not as much of a melting pot of nationalities as it is today. But the big cities back then, Mama Kay, being from New York, New York was a port city, if you will. And there was all these nationalities there in New York. And the same thing, coming out of the South, people would port in Miami. Uh, a lot of different uh, religious views, a lot of different nationalities would gather there. Same thing with New Orleans. Same thing with Los Angeles. Same thing with Seattle. When you start to look at water passage ways or whatever, you start to get a lot of different nationalities. And with a lot of different nationalities comes a lot of different religious belief systems. And that's what 
was happening in Corinth. So that's where Paul had spent a year and a half of his life. We'll get to that, Acts 18. He had planted his church there, and man, after a short period of time, it was all kinds of chaos. Now, many scholars believe that we have first and second Corinthians. There was a third letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth that's not even canonized. He spends more time writing to this church than any other church that was founded by him. Now, the interesting thing is when Paul spent this year and a half there, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. Paul spent a year and a half there in Corinth. He founded his church. Now, these new followers that had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they came with a lot of baggage. Because Corinth, as I've mentioned, was like starting a church in Las Vegas or on Bourbon Street. It was flooded with bartenders and strippers and prostitutes. Even the temple of Aphrodite, which was a goddess of pleasure. Hundreds of people visited the temple of Aphrodite every day. Many scholars believe that there were probably even a thousand prostitutes that worked that temple every day. Very interesting place. So when he starts this church and some are responding to the gospel, don't miss it. They came with a lot of baggage. And when you come to faith with a lot of baggage, it usually takes a little bit of time to get the world and the world system out of your life. No, no, I understand if Christ saves you and you're a new creation, all this stuff is so cool. But when you've been marinated and stuck in sin for a long period of time, it, 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 it takes a little while to get cleaned up. And, and there's a lot of people that have come to faith in Christ that come here to the cross Loganville. And for some of y'all, when you first came to faith in Christ, you, you were trying to figure out what does it mean to to walk with Jesus because you needed life coaching and you needed discipleship and you needed leadership and you needed small group and you, you needed shepherding like all of us. And, and some of us didn't come just with a backpack full of junk in our past. We came with three and four pieces of Samsonite, baby, pulling it when we came to faith in Christ. We came with some baggage. We came with some baggage. And... Uh, I'll never forget. I hadn't been here very long, maybe a couple of years, and there was this couple that started coming with some small kids, and we, we love people here. We really do, and the girl was very self-righteous. I don't know what her marinade was spiritually, but I didn't really know what she was for, but I knew a lot of what she was against, and we had this guy uh, one Sunday. He was out in the front of the church, uh, kind of on the sidewalk toward the parking lot, and he was out there smoking a, a cigarette, and she came in, and she was all mad. I can't believe there's a guy out here smoking a cigarette. And I said, yeah, I, I saw him. Well, wh why didn't you say anything to him? And I said, because three weeks ago, I got a phone call that he was at Gwinnett Medical on life support. He had OD'd. Now, this dude has smoked more weed than probably most of us in here. He's done meth. He's done crack. You name it, he's done it. He had OD'd, and he was on life support. And by the grace of God, God let him live. 
And three weeks later, he's at church because he was at church the previous week. And the dude is trying to figure it out. So he might be out there smoking a Marlboro right now, but praise God he came to church. And I've got room at the cross Loganville for people that are just coming out of car rent. Do y'all hear me? Some people still may smell like the world. Now, you ain't got to stay there. You ain't got to. But some of us came to faith out of drugs, out of alcohol, out of sexual promiscuity, and it messed us up, and and we're trying to figure it out. There's a place to repent, and there's a place to grow, and there's a place of hope here, Nick. And so when you study car rent, that's what you're dealing with, guys. These new believers, and man, they had jacked it up. And they were trying to figure it out. They needed somebody to help them out. They needed some coaching. So when Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, he's going to rebuke some things and confront some things. He's not doing it because he hates them. He's he's doing it because he loves them. You you hear me? And and so he's like, man, I just want you all to get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he says, Do you not know? Do, do you not know that you are a temple of God? G- guys, do you not realize that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you and is desiring to dwell in you? If any man destroys the temple, God will destroy him. But the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. He's writing. Guys, listen to me. You, you lived reckless. You lived as a habitual sinner. And you really have repented, and you really asked Christ to save you. And you're trying to figure it out. Let me tell you what you are. You are the temple of God. You are holy. You're holy. I would circle that in my Bible. He says in chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Who am I speaking to? I believe the majority of people that walked in here today, somewhere along your path, you have repented of your sin. Now, some of y'all are still flirting with a lifestyle of being like Corinth. I'm telling you, and you still have some of those tendencies. John MacArthur said this about Corinth. Even according to pagan culture, whoo, they were morally corrupt. People would say, that, that, that dude's a Corinthianizer, which meant debauchery, cheater, manipulator, sexually perverted. I'm like, now some of y'all, some of y'all, you, you still flirt with that. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're not trusting who God says you are. God says for the one who is repented, you're you're holy. You're holy in God's eyes. You're pure. You're the temple of God. You're sanctified. You've been set apart to glorify God. God says, you're my people. This right here. 
tempt him. You're my temple. Temple? He uses the phrase temple throughout 1 Corinthians. Why? There were 12 temples in Corinth, and people would go to these temples to worship, and most of them were worshiping these pagan deities or whatever. And he's like, Nick, you're the temple of God. You, you don't go to a place where the presence of God is any longer. You are the place, which implies as the temple of God, listen, you're the temple of God. Watch what you put in it, watch what you put on it, watch what you put around it. You're the temple of God. you got to steward the temple. That's who you are. You, you, you don't own you. There, there's new ownership over you. You're the steward of what belongs to somebody else now. When you were lost and on your way to hell, you thought you were in control of you. So what you put in it, on it, and around it was different, but you have released ownership of you. And so Paul is writing this saying, no, y'all, come on. So when he writes it, he starts by emphasizing identity. Don't miss it. Identity drives activity. You're holy. You're God's people. You're, you're sanctified. This is who you are. And throughout it, he goes back to this. You're God's people. You're, you're his temple. You're holy. You're, you're sanctified. You can't do whatever you want to do any longer. And then he starts to address issues. Now, if there's any, any, any book that addresses issues that we face here in America today, it's the book of 1 Corinthians. Because he starts by saying, why is there all these divisions and arguments going on among y'all? Y'all are starting to divide and argue about things that you shouldn't be divided over. Some of y'all are saying that I'm of Paul. And some are saying I'm of Apollos. And some are saying I prefer Peter. Do what? Yes. See, some of y'all are saying I, I like Joel and, and, and I like Beth more better. No, I, I prefer Joyce Meyer more. No, I'm really an Andy Stanley fan. No, I, I, I prefer Tomlin. No, no, no. I would, would prefer Kurt Franklin, but I prefer Third Day. And He's like, would y'all stop the nonsense? 1 Corinthians 4, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that a servant and steward be found trustworthy. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Peter? Who's Tim? Who's Nick? Who? They're servants. And the word servant meant under rower. It was the portrait of a guy in the bottom of the ship. And he had a row and he couldn't be seen by anybody. He was just an under rower. And the master called the shots, and the master was the one that was seen. He was just an under-rower. What is Tim? Under-rower. What is Steve? Nick? Rick? Chad? Jesse? Lisa? Sarah? They're under-rowers. And we live in a society that loves to pimp names. Oh, yeah, I'm going to this conference to hear... Stop it! And Paul was speaking 
Focus on Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't follow man. Man comes and goes. Man will let you down. Follow Jesus. He wrote this some 2,000 years ago. What are we dealing with today? Stop it. Y'all stop it. You're losing focus and you're starting to become a personality-driven culture. And then he rolls in chapters 5 and 6 and he confronts sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity head on. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, now I want you to just hear me loud and clear. Man, I just want my kids reading the Bible. You better coach them up a little bit because if they start over there in the Song of Solomon, you got some questions that you're going to deal with. <laughs> but if they start in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a dude in the church at Corinth that was shanked up with his stepmother and they were acting like it was okay. Y'all are cool with this? This is straight in the Bible. You, Jerry Springer has nothing on First Corinthians. I'm not joking. And he's like, are y'all serious? Y'all are okay with promiscuity going on like that? Y'all are okay with that kind of perversion going on? And he lays it out in 1 Corinthians 5, even in 9 through 13. Hold on. We're okay, Danny. Where he says, where he says, if there is a so-called believer, you got your Bible open right there, Sandra? If there is a so-called believer, and then he lists all this stuff, if they're immoral, adulterer, a cheater, a drunk, a swindler, he lays all this stuff out. Don't sit down and break bread and eat with them. Don't give the appearance that you're okay with their conduct and behavior. Oh, you, you, you claim to be a Jesus follower and you want to break bread with me? Don't put me in a position to sin. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. Why? Because he, again, wanted to emphasize the importance of what holiness looked like. Y'all want to love people? Then don't tolerate and permit sin. Don't, don't, don't do it. My buddy Ted Barrett, Major League Umpire, he called me a few years ago. He's like, I need prayer. And so we were talking through some things. And he said, I had to tell a dude the other day, I couldn't, I couldn't go out to lunch with him. I said, really? He's like, I know he's married and he's shacked up with another girl right now. And I told him, based on 1 Corinthians 5, bro, I can't, I can't eat with you. I love you, but I can't give the appearance that everything's cool. And we can't, I won't, you can't. Oh, I'm living in sin, man. You, I'm not eating with you. I'll meet with you. But we ain't breaking bread, bro. That ain't happening. First Corinthians 6, he looks and he says, guys, why is there so many lawsuits and y'all are going to court with one another? Stop it. Settle it with each other. Find a mediator. Let's work this thing out. Don't take that noise to the courts if you can stay away from it. And I understand 
that a lot of times there's non-believers and pagans that are coming against you, but he's writing to believers. Don't quit, quit this Sue Happy stuff. And we live in a Sue Happy society. When I first got here and we started dealing with a lot of what had happened in the previous year, Steve, we had a guy do due diligence on all of our records and forensic auditing on all of our stuff. And Steve knows it was like, let's see what we're inheriting. This was eight years ago. And there was a lot of junk. It's like, that's wrong. That's way jacked up. But one of the dudes that was a part of the church back then came to me and said, we need to sue them. Like you crazy. No, we need to sue them. I said, what does the scripture say in 1 Corinthians 6 about suing another's brother? I don't know, but we need to sue them. Steve knows it. I said, no. And even after going through the numbers and seeing what had happened, I'm like, I would rather be broke and trust God to lead us into the future than to be a joke and take it to the courts. So what am I going to do? Smear his name? Then what good does that do to the kingdom and the gospel? New pastor at the Cross Loganville sues the former pastor at the Oasis Loganville, and they've got a heated argument going on in the courts. I'm like, really? Are you serious? And what Paul is saying is, do y'all not realize how stupid that is? Stop it. Clean it up. Find a mediator. Get along. Love each other. Because the way y'all are acting, y'all give love. A bad name. First Corinthians 7, this is the way you do marriage. That's what he says. First Corinthians 7, wife's body does not belong to her. It belongs to her husband. I'm like, praise the Lord. That's why they call it the good book. But he lays all this stuff out. But the husband's body don't belong to him. It belongs to his wife. Stop depriving each other except for the purpose of prayer and sanctifying to the Lord which means read it, read it. You don't have permission to be a nun. It's none in the morning, none at night because you made me mad. Grow up, <laughs> stop the nonsense. But that's what he says. I'm telling y'all, this is a great, First Corinthians 7, he's looking going, love each other right, honor the marriage. If you're gonna marry, Come together and let's work this thing out, right? Don't find sexual pleasure outside the confines of your marriage. If you're going to stay single, praise God. Paul writes, I wish y'all were just like I was. I'm single. There's freedom in being single. There's joy in being single. But he lays it out in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 8. Hey, guys, do you not understand the freedoms of God? God wants you free. Jesus is enough to satisfy you. You don't have to look for completion outside of him. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 9, Drew, he says, listen, listen, walk in this freedom, walk in this honor, walk in this love. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one gets the prize? Run the race in such a way that you can glorify God and win. Run the race every day, Paul. Run the race before God. Honor God. Do it right. I'm telling you, it's powerful. And then he gets to chapter 11, and he lays out 
Y'all want to know how to worship and things should be kind of ordered in church? He lays it out. Y'all want to know how to do communion? He lays it out in 1 Corinthians 11. God has sanctified communion, the Lord's table. Here's how you do it. You do introspection if you're a believer. You don't do communion while you're living in sin. You honor God. Then he goes into 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and he goes, God is a good God, and God has given gifts, and the Holy Spirit has poured out gifts, and somehow the gifts of teaching, and somehow the gifts of hospitality, and he lays out all this stuff. And they were butchering the gifts and abusing the gifts, and they were abusing so much. And that's where he says, 1 Corinthians 13, guys, can I define love for y'all? Y'all know what love is? You, You give it such a bad name. You get to chapter 15, he gives a profound teaching on the resurrection. I mean, there is so much to me that he addresses in 1 Corinthians that I want to I want to be so familiar with this book because I think it's one of the most practical letters written to the church today. Tim, what do you think is the fundamental, crucial, like if you had to highlight one verse in it, what would it be? It would be 1 Corinthians 6.20. You have been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. You think that's it? I I think that's probably, it centers up the heart of the teaching of Corinthians. You've been bought with a price now. You you gave up ownership. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is to be sacred. Take every thought captive. No eye has seen. No ear has even heard. No mind can conceive what God has in store for those who genuinely love him. Take, Take care of that body. Deal with sin thoroughly. Don't screw it up. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. This is worth hearing. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, those who worship idols, commit adultery, prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, Greedy people, drunks, those who are abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. None of them will. You're not going to inherit the kingdom. Such were some of you when you lived in Corinth, when you practiced the pagan beliefs of Corinth, when you lived as a sinner, when you lived with sex, alcohol, drugs, and you on the throne. Such were some of y'all. But... You were washed. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You were washed through the blood of the Lamb of God. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. But you were sanctified by God. God washed you, cleaned you. He set you apart for his glory. You've been justified. You were declared righteous through Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God. You, you, you belong to God. Don't you want to act like it? Don't you want to show others that you belong to God? Don't you know that identity of really believing who you are in Christ will drive your activity? Some of the reason you continue to go back out and try to find love apart from God and sexual fulfillment apart from God 
is because you don't really trust your identity. You don't believe Jesus is enough for you. You, you, you believe the world still has something to offer you that God's withholding that's going to make you complete. You, you, you still don't believe Jesus is enough, do you? And I think that's what he's driving home. You've been bought. Jesus is enough. Jesus will satisfy you. You, you, you don't need another hookup. You don't need another one-nighter. You, you don't need another pill, and you don't need another rum and coke. Believe me, quit hiding the vodka just because it doesn't smell as bad on your breath. You don't need it. No, seriously. And that's what he's breaking down. I started thinking, like, okay, so what? What are the practical takeaways? I think we can learn in Corinthians, confront anything that hinders love and causes division. Is there anything in your life that hinders love that causes any type of division? Let's deal with it. Because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit now living inside of you, you can live in victory. But you must deal with sin thoroughly if you're going to walk in victory. Is that true? It, it, it is. What do we learn? We learn that spiritual leadership is an opportunity to serve, not to gain recognition. We, we learn that true spiritual leadership is measured by sacrifice and serving. It's measured by living a life of generosity. Joy is all about giving and becoming becoming broken bread and spilled out wine. What else did we learn? We learned that God has called us to honor and encourage and love one another in a pure way. When you finally get there to the chapter, if I could speak all the languages of the earth but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secrets and all of his secret plans, and if I possessed like all the knowledge there was to have, and if I had faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't, Love others. Love is doing that which is most redemptive for the other person. Love is not using another person to get my needs met. Love is. Love is this. And then he says, verse 8, love will last forever. Love is patient and kind enough, but love will last forever. Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Stop giving love a bad name. Stop telling people that you are a recipient of this love, but yet you taste more like a Corinthianizer than you do a Christian. Stop, stop, stop. Let's get it right. I, I want you to know what love is. So he finishes 
Even in chapter 16 where he says, your every action must be done with love. So a few years later, he writes this second little letter. Don't miss this. And he starts by saying, basically, unite yourself in Christ. Build your foundation of who you are in Christ. Be united in Christ and then take care of each other. 2 Corinthians 1. I want you who have been comforted by the comfort of the Holy Spirit that's brought you great comfort. I want you to go out and comfort others who are being afflicted with the comfort that you've been comforted with. Read it. There's about 40 times the word comfort and comforted appears. Now, because of who you are and who you belong to and the comfort that you're walking in, I want you to go out now and love other people. I, I want you to forgive other people. See, see some of y'all were a train wreck when you came to faith in Christ. And you're starting to look down on other train wrecks that are coming to faith in Christ. So, some of y'all repented and really started walking. And some of y'all really did repent, but you drifted back out in the world. And some of y'all are starting to think that the ones who drifted back out into the world, let them burn in hell attitude. That's stop. Some of y'all think you're better sinners than others. No, seriously. They're bad sinners, but I'm not that bad. No, no, you're jacked up. Because just like the list that we just read in 1 Corinthians 6, greedy and homosexual and adulterers, and we'll, we'll go through that list and go, some of those are really bad, which means the ones I don't practice are jacked up. But, but the ones that I practice are not as bad. No, 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 no. He says people that practice any, any of these will not inherit the kingdom of God. He, he didn't just say the ones who are jacked up with twisted sexual desire. Like you stinking thief, you're not going to inherit it. You're greedy. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because you give love. Bad man. So he gets the second Corinthians and he's like, comfort, love, be willing to forgive, extend grace. And then he gets to chapter five as we have it. And he's like, listen, listen, listen. You remember who we're following? That's right, we're following Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter. We're following Jesus. Remember, Jesus' ministry was a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, that's who we're following. That's, that's who we're following. So, if you read through 2 Corinthians 5, listen to what he says. We now walk by faith and not by sight. We're walking by faith. Our eyes will lie to us, but our faith says love, forgive, be about reconciliation. Our ambition now is to please God, not ourselves. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and every one of us is going to be recompensed according to what we've done in our body, whether it be good or bad. You realize that? We're going to all stand naked before God one day. 
We're, we're all going to stand there and be recompensed, rewarded for what we've done in our body. Our body. We've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. For the love of God and the love of Jesus compels us and controls us and hems us in and motivates us, having concluded this, that Jesus died for He died for all, for the rich, the poor, the broke, the wealthy. He died for all. So that we may no longer live for ourselves. We would no longer live for what we want in our agenda, but we would live for him who died and rose again. You, you see... Jesus' ministry was reconciliation. He left all the comforts of heaven. He took on a robe of flesh. He, he identified with the poorest of poor. So, so, so if anyone now is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. If you're in Christ, you're new. You're not just a better version of the pagan. You are a new version of what you've never been. Because you got the Holy Spirit. You're new. You see, God reconciled, reconciled us to him through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Meaning we're out in the world extending God's love to others. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He nailed them to the cross. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We're his ambassadors now. And we're making an appeal to the world because the Holy Spirit's doing it in us and through us. God's using you as an ambassador, which means an ambassador is a person that represents another country in a foreign land, and you're a citizen of heaven, and you're in a foreign land until you die to go be with Jesus. You're an ambassador. So travel light here. This world don't belong to you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You don't have permission to live like a Corinthian any longer. Children of God, that's who we are. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What am I putting in it, on it, around it? Am I glorifying God? I'm telling you, this letter is so relevant to the American church today. Honor God. Glorify God. Repent. Get it right. You're walking with Jesus? Cool. Now go out into the world because God has entrusted to you, Ambassador, a message of reconciliation to reconcile lost people back to himself. Go extend the love of Christ because their story matters.